From the 600 ESPN El Paso River Oaks Property Schoolyard Sports Studio, here's Steve Kaplowitz and Adrian Broadus. Welcome back, everybody. As we get going here on a Wednesday edition of Sports Talk, we've got a lot to cover on the show today. On a rainy, cloudy day, best day of the summer. In fact, I went on the uh, KLQ Morning Show with Buzz Adams this morning, and I told him that I'm going to go home during lunch and I'm going to aerate my lawn and oversee to try to get my grass back from the heat earlier this summer. And that's exactly what I did. Adrian went home. My, um, I've got one of those, um, uh, basically it's like a manual aerator. You, you put it in the ground, you press down, and it just puts two very nice deep holes into the dirt. So I went home, changed out of my work clothes, put on some shorts, and um, went and aerated half my lawn. Then I went ahead and I um, put some, uh, some, some Bermuda seed down and then watered it. And even though the ground was already wet, just wanted to make sure in case it didn't rain the rest of the afternoon, and it didn't rain while I was there, um, and then had everything ready to go, came back, and I'm like, this is perfect, gorgeous today, 70, mid-70s, cloudy. It's the coolest day of the summer, and if there was ever a day to, to do, uh, you know, to play a hooky from work for an hour during your lunch break and do a little yard work, it's today. See, I love El Paso, Steve, because you say, like, uh, play hooky from for lunch. You know, a lot of people use the rain as an excuse to play hooky for the whole day uh, mm. from work. And uh, I'm not calling anybody out. I think it's actually an El Paso thing. Um, whenever it rains, it feels like all productivity, all work actually declines for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I mean... To each his own, right? I yep. love I love the rain. I love El Paso's rain and it, how this city looks when it rains. So anybody playing hooky and not working today, I'm with you. You do you. That's exactly. And by the way, our our uh, bathrooms don't work for the second day in a row. So um, you know, a lot of people are just leaving the station to go home to go to the uh, toilet. I mean, it's. You, I guess you could you could try to go to the restaurants next door, but as much as I love. Uh, Ruley, Chef Ruley, I, I feel weird just showing up uh, to use his bathroom. So I, I, that's another reason why everybody's going home right now. They're all going home because nobody wants to try to go around the side of the station and uh, take care of business and accidentally uh, get a citation for it. Oh, so you didn't bring your bucket? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I did uh, walk over. Shame. Uh, I had a lot of shame in me. I told the person out at Ruley's, hey, I'm so sorry. I We don't have working bathrooms next door. Can I please use your restrooms? You didn't buy a shower? You didn't buy like a salad or a sandwich I just uh, as a uh, thank you for that? I should have. I, I mean, right. also told, I should have told him, if I buy something now, can I use this the whole day? Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I have the smallest bladder on the planet too, Steve, so this has been an awful day. Well, um, luckily for yours truly, um, the bladder is not as small as yours. So after a couple of cups of coffee and some water, I, I finally reached my breaking point about 1 o'clock this afternoon when I went home for, the, for a few and uh, took care of the, uh, of the backyard. Now, my wife is not a believer. I'm not going to lie to you. She thinks I'm wasting my time, wasting my energy, and that our grass is dead. She is continually we, we, we battle this out she said you know what let's just plant some new sod this this grass is not coming back it's it's a disaster and i'm like one of these people that's hanging on to a thread thinking that like some miracle 
it's going to magically start to grow again. And it and it's not terrible, but it's just not like it was when we first planted it. When we first planted that grass, or I should say laid down the sod, because we didn't plant anything, we laid it down, it looked like a rug, like a carpet. And then it just... It, it, it didn't last. So we've been we've been in an uphill battle for like the last three or four years just trying anything we can to get that lawn to look like it should. And, you know, it, it just it, it's been a losing battle. You know, it's so uh, interesting that you mentioned that because my whole life, uh, my parents have always had exceptional grass in their backyard. And this is the first year where it's actually like dead, like all around dead. And it's sad. I'm like, man, I, I grew up all around this uh, grass that they grew. Uh, my dad takes a lot of pride in his uh, lawn. And to see their backyard be what it is right now, I'm, I'm sad. And, and I think they're uh, feeling very similar to what your wife is feeling. They're like, oh, well, you know what? Uh, grass is done. Let's punt on this season, and maybe next season we will redo the backyard. Yeah, well, the problem with me is that, um, you know, I've everybody's having grass issues. We're not alone. Everybody I talk to has all said um, grass has been a problem this year. With the exception of Paul Marmalejo, he's the only one. Only one I know that, that that's having good grass this summer. Everybody else I know has been dealing with the same issues. I've been trying to mention that, but... You know, it's like the front of that lawn, it looks good. It, it's great. It's, it's it, you know, it's evergreen. The backyard, totally different situation. Totally different situation. And it's frustrating. So today, I, I saw the weather, realized the forecast of the way it was, and I'm like, I'm going out. I'm going back home. And I, I guess I could have come in late to work and done the same thing in the morning, but I showed up here at normal time, Spent my first, you know, three or four hours at the station and wanted to go and, and do some yard work. So that's exactly what I did. I like your determination too, Steve. I like the fact that you're not letting, uh, you know, some dead patches here or there slow you down and, uh, you know, l- lose your confidence in your grass. Like, don't don't punt on this season. I like what you did today. Appreciate that. Thank you. So, um, anyway, that's, that's the storyline. I'm bummed today. Heard the news just a little while ago that Terry Funk passed away at the age of 79. Listen, for all of you out there that ever grew up watching professional wrestling in the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s, terrible Terry Funk um, is one of the all-time greats. All-time greats, folks. Um, seen it all. Done it all and played college football at West Texas A&M in the 60s. You know, there's so much going on uh, with that man who wrestled for 50 plus years and is the embodiment of what hardcore wrestling is all about. I mean, that was Terry Funk. Simply put, um, Mick Foley is the one who actually confirmed that uh, Terry had passed away. And Foley said he was my mentor, my idol, one of my closest friends. He was the greatest wrestler I ever saw. If you get the chance, look up a Terry Funk match or a Terry Funk promo and give thanks. And he's right. Uh, Terry Funk, the son of Dory, started uh, his career in uh, Western, in Amarillo, and uh, wrestled everywhere, all Japan, WWE, which was the WWF, WCW, ECW, um, was everywhere you could possibly be. And yes, Terry Funk also appeared in Roadhouse, um, 
Paradise Alley, The Ringer, and Over the Top. So, man, oh, man, that is a tough, tough story for us to have today. Look, um, the truth is this, too. 79 is a really good age for a professional wrestler. Let's be honest. We've lost so many of them in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Anytime you get somebody into their 70s, uh, you know for a wrestler, you know you're doing all right. And I saw Ric Flair this past weekend. He was uh, with Lane, and Flair still looks pretty good, despite all the, uh, the the run-ins with death that he's had over the last few years. Yeah, you know, with uh, somebody like uh, you know Terry Funk, uh, is somebody who Texas knows very well, a graduate of Canyon High, West Texas A&M, so you're talking about uh, a West Texas guy in him. So a lot of people here in the Lone Star, uh, Lone Star State love him and love what he did, and I know that everybody will miss him, but this is a great day to honor what a, what a legacy that he leaves no, you're here right. in wrestling. 100%. And if you have never watched a Terry Funk match, they're all over YouTube. And you'll you'll probably see them all over social media today. Uh, Terry did it all. He did it all. I interviewed him once. He wrote a book. Gosh, that has to be 20-plus years ago. And we ended up getting him on the show. In fact, crazy enough, um, you know, Terry Funk was amazing. He really was. He was a great guest. I have... His um, his cell number, and wow. you know, I I we just didn't I didn't call him a lot because I didn't want to bother him. But when we um nominated Gory Guerrero for the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame, I called up Terry and asked him if he would uh, write a letter of recommendation for Gory, and he was all for it. Loved him. Said that. You know, he was one of the greatest, uh, you know, managers, wrestlers, and spoke the world of him. And remember, when Terry Funk was first coming around in the uh, 60s, you know, that was right at the heyday of uh, Gory and his territory here in uh, Texas and Mexico, in El Paso. So a lot of great run-ins with the Guerreros and the Funks. So as you might imagine, Terry got very emotional when I told him that we were trying to get Gory Guerrero into the El Paso Athletic Hall of Fame about six, seven years ago. And that wow. was probably the last time I talked to Terry was to tell him we were going to do that, and he was unbelievable. That just tells you about his character as a person, like who he was as a person. He cared so deeply about those he wrestled with, those he was around. I mean, that's a, a really amazing story right there. It was, and, man, tough one. Really a tough one for anybody that ever watched wrestling and and. You know, everybody that is familiar with wrestling knows the name. You're familiar with uh, Terry Funk. That is for sure. All right. We got a busy show today. Busy show. Jay Jaffe's back from vacay. He's going to join us in less than 10 minutes. We've got Jeff Erickson in our 5 o'clock hour. Hags from Southwest University Park, which probably is going to be in the best condition ever. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, when it rains for a few hours and the base and the baseball fields get nice and firm and that perfect uh, like clay in terms of the infield and you know that it's going to be ready to go for a first pitch tonight at six thirty out at Southwest University Park. Very excited for uh, Chihuahua's baseball tonight against uh, Sacramento. Man, everybody who goes to tonight's game will get to reap the benefits of this amazing weather, and I think that's a really cool thing in itself. So uh, Southwest University Park will be popping back in action this whole week, and uh, I'm very happy that they're doing this one here tonight. I'm, I'm, I think it worked out perfectly as far as timing, weather-wise, and everything for uh, this game to happen here tonight. I do too. I'm with you on that one. And by the way, 
we are now three days away from the start of the UTEP football season and a day away from the start of the high school football season here in El Paso. Hard to believe, isn't it? That's right. I mean, I'm ready. Tomorrow it kicks off. It's Canyon Teal Pebble Hills. That's usually uh, one of the games of the year. Last year, a little underwhelming, but this year I'm really looking forward to it. Gael Ochoa, UTEP commit. He's the quarterback at Pebble Hills High School. And then you look over to Canyon Teal. You name anybody on that defense, all those guys have a chance to play at the next level. Uh, and they're headlined by one of my favorite players in the entire city, uh, Chewy Carillo, who's going to be playing linebacker, a little safety, a little running back for uh, Canyon. So tomorrow's game at the sack should be great, kicking things off for high school football. Can't wait. Meanwhile, just before we took the air, uh, Pete Dammel from ESPN.com is reporting that the ACC is ramping up talks for adding Cal, Stanford, and SMU to the mix. I'm not surprised about this one, but I am surprised about the number here. Three. Who, who, are they going to get a fourth? Can they convince Notre Dame to be the fourth? And I think that might have to be the thing to uh, set the ACC over the top to allow everybody in. Or are they preparing to absorb losses? Are they doing this knowing that they're at 15 now, but maybe other schools are looking to leave them? Sure. They could see the writing on the wall with uh, one of their top universities in uh, Florida State and I mean top as far as entertainment value top as far as intrigue especially on the football side of things Florida State has an incredible brand what they bring on the football side so maybe that's the university which is hinted before that they uh, could leave the ACC if things worked out for them and maybe if they can't get that 16th and they need one bad enough maybe San Diego State will eventually be that 16th school for them right because now you're going all the way to the west coast for Mm -hmm. the ACC I mean Mm -hmm. Last time I checked, uh, we were talking about the Pacific Coast on the West Coast and not the Atlantic. But uh, nonetheless, uh, the ACC does not care about geography. No, they don't. All right. Great to have you aboard. Jay Jaffe coming up next as we get started. First, let's go to D. Wu standing by with our first traffic update of the afternoon. The one, the only Jay Jaffe. Mr. Fangraf himself, who was at Dodger Stadium about a week and a half or two weeks before I was for that Fernando Mania night when they honored uh, the great uh, number 34, Fernando Valenzuela. Jay, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm well, Jay. I'm doing well. Hey, by the way, um, when you were at Dodger Stadium, just out of curiosity, uh, did you eat a Dodger dog? And if so, um, are you like me that you still believe that pound for pound that is the best uh, hot dog uh, in Major League Baseball in terms of just pure hot dog, not all the stuff they put on it, just a good ballpark dog? Eh, you know, I thought it was okay. I didn't, I didn't think it was anything special, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the one thing I would say about Dodger Stadium is for as impressed as I was, I didn't really think much of the concessions, but I didn't really have much of a chance to go exploring. Um <clears throat> It was a pretty average hot dog. I mean, um, the last time I was there, I remember them being grilled, and this was not a grilled dog. Weird, because I had a grilled dog. In fact, when I went to the concession stands and I ordered it, it even said grilled. It's a foot, like a a, basically, it's a thin uh, foot long grilled hot dog. So I wonder if something happened. Maybe something's afoot with uh, the concession stands the night you were there at Dodger Stadium. And well, they, I think it's you know. just a, you know, maybe the upper the upper area wasn't it, it just wasn't grilled. I, just, oh, I don't okay. know. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, it was it was it was nothing special. Well, yeah, if it's it not a grilled fine. hot dog, I would be disappointed too, because that's the whole point of uh, of a Dodger dog. But it's yeah. all right. Uh, hey, uh, meanwhile, Jay, as we talk a little baseball and later some beer with you as well, you wrote about the Giants today uh, or yesterday, I should say, defying gravity by remaining in the wild card race. And you know what? They really have a lot of credit, I think, to the Giants and what they've been able to do hanging around. And by the way. What a wild card race this is. I mean, you've got the Phillies, the Marlins, the Cubs, the Reds, the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and uh, really, uh, unless unless the Padres strike gold, they're out. But uh, what a uh, you know what a deep wild card field we have right now in the National League. Yeah, I, look, I, I'm you know it should be it should be pretty uh, pretty exciting. But let's but let's face it, these are, this is kind of a study in mediocrity. You've got five teams here that are separated by a game and a half, and that you know that could produce some interesting baseball uh, down the stretch. But the highest winning percentage among them is, is the Cubs with 524 winning percentage. This is not a, these are not powerhouse teams. This is parity, um, and it's not all going to be decided on the you know. There's a potential that this won't all be decided on the field. That this is going to come down to um, you know, mathematics of who ha- who has a better head-to-head record if these teams are tied at the end of the, um, you know, at the end of the season. So, um, you know, this is this is apparently what Major League Baseball wanted when they expanded the playoff pool, um, and this is this is what we're getting here. So, um, you know, we'll make the most of it, but uh, um, you know, it's it's tough to see exactly how this is going to shake out with so many teams and so many variables. There's going to be a lot of scoreboard watching here over the next few weeks. You took the words out of my mouth. Uh, this is exactly what baseball wants, and that is reward uh, mediocrity as we see more parity outside of the top teams in baseball. And it's exactly what they're doing. Teams that otherwise wouldn't really have a serious chance, now they're they're all in the race, and they're all trying to fight for a, a shot at the postseason. And I mean, I don't know. You're right. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean we're talking about good teams that are all playing for postseason, but sometimes you have to throw out the records because we'll see upsets from time to time in the baseball postseason when a team gets hot at the right spot and all of a sudden they could knock off uh, one of the Giants uh, that have been you know, just uh, dominating their, their, their divisions all season long. Yeah, well, we certainly saw that last year with the Padres and the, being the Mets in the best of three. I mean, again, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of the format. I think best of three is, you know, kind of, uh, uh, kind of silly for a postseason, and you know, because there's just too much, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't reward, um, it doesn't reward the season long excellence, and that's really what, you know, uh, to me, what, what should be rewarded. It's just, it's just how good a team is over the course of 162, but. Um, as for the Giants, yeah, their pitching has been okay. Their hitting has just disappeared. Um, they've had so many injuries that they've uh, uh, their depth has been totally thinned out. Um, they were uh, uh, you know drilling down to get players who last you know finished last year in uh, at some level of a ball and kind of rocketed through the majors. I mean through the minors this year uh, to try to help them, and it hasn't all gone well since the start of July. They're scoring only about three three point three runs per game. Um, and they've been playing under 500 while everybody else, uh, all the other teams in the wild card race, even the Padres, um, if we're counting them, has been playing above 500 over that uh, quarter season stretch. So the fact that the Giants are even in this, um, although they did slip out of a playoff spot uh, uh, last night with their loss uh, for the first time since I think it's July 8th, mm. um, you know, is is again testament to the to the uh, uh, to the low bar that's been set here. 
Would you have liked to have seen more of Kyle Harrison last night? I didn't, you know, honestly, I didn't, I didn't get to see it. I was watching something else here, but, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I know that, uh, people think highly of him and, and, and he could certainly help them. Um, you know, they've, they've really only had, uh, two reliable starters, uh, you know, and they've been using, using openers due to injuries. Um, so, you know, if he can help them, uh, that's a big deal. Meanwhile, I'm looking around uh, some of the other games that are being played right now. I mean, Giants are up 5-2 here in the bottom of the seventh today. So that's a, a good rebound. We'll see if they can hold it with their bullpen. How about the news that uh, Shohei Otani had to leave after an inning and a third? Um, and, you know, despite what has been a, a terrific season for him, I really wonder if maybe he's kind of reaching his limit. Arm fatigue now, Jay, and... Uh, 44 home runs this season. If you're the, um, you know, if you're the Angels, you don't want to ruin them and hurt them. Maybe you just to keep them DH the rest of the year. Yeah, it's possible that that's what this could be here. I mean, you know, it's uh, obviously unfortunate if, if uh, um, you know, if it's the end of his pitching for the for the season. He's been very good. Um, certainly uh, great at missing bats. Um, you know, we saw him dominate with that one hitter a couple weeks ago. Uh, kind of a shame if if uh, uh, if this is the end of it here, because, you know. But uh, um, he's got a huge payday coming up, and if he doesn't want to risk it, I understand that. Um, you know, the Angels uh, obviously hasn't paid off with with regards to their going all in. Um, you know, at the uh, at the at the trade deadline, there's still four games under 500, and. Um, you know, there's just too much traffic and too little time, I think, for them to get back in this, barring, you know, just uh, just an incredible winning streak. Uh, but, uh, um, uh, you know, hopefully we can at least watch Otani uh, hit well over the remainder of the year, if that's what it comes to. Hitting the bottom of the hour with Jay Jaffe here on Sports Talk as we continue. Plenty more coming up, including his beer pick of the week. But first, let's send it back to Adrian right now and get this bottom of the hour Sports Center update. Jeffy back from vacation. In fact, uh, he wrote on Monday about Julio Rodriguez and the Mariners. Had a Fangraphs chat yesterday and wrote about the Giants. The only question is, will Jay write about the Yankees? Nine losses in a row. And how about this stat, Jay? The Yankees have not had a lead in 61 straight innings. And I wonder, you know, I don't know if they keep stats like that as far as historical, but where that would rank historically among the biggest slumps that the team's ever had. Yeah, it's certainly up there. I mean, I, I wrote about the Yankees a, a couple weeks before leaving on my vacation, and uh, today my, my colleague Dan Zimborski uh, wrote about uh, uh, what a rebuild would take. Um, I don't I'm not sure I have anything more to add to that at the moment here. Maybe uh, uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks, I'll go up and get a look at some of the some of the new faces that uh, uh, the Yankees are playing here because it seems like they're, um, you know, kind of realizing that uh, uh, it's time to take a look at some of these minor league prospects here. Um, you know, with the season where it is, it's just they've had you know just not enough depth. Way too many, you know, way too many bets on veterans that. Uh, um, th- that were not particularly healthy to begin with, and, and uh, uh, things went south for them, thinking of guys like Josh Donaldson, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMayhew, uh, even Anthony Rizzo. Um, it's just, you know, it's just unfortunate, but uh, 
between that and the collapse of the pitching staff, with you know Carlos Rodon so far being a dud as far as their big free agent off, uh, off free agent signing, Luis Severino falling apart, um, the Domingo Herman uh, situation where he's uh, uh, checked into rehab due to due to alcohol abuse and, and things like that. I mean, just so many things have gone wrong. Nestor Cortez Jr., another one uh, who's missed a, g- a good chunk of the season with injuries here. Um, you know, it's just they're they're just depleted at this point, and and uh, um, you know some of it couldn't have been foreseen. Some just bad luck. Um, this organization does some things well, but they're going to have to take a hard look at the things that they're not doing well uh, and figure out how to get better at them. I would be shocked if Boone comes back next year. Um, as far as, you know, where they go with Cashman, that's interesting, especially with what Jerry Reinsdorf did today, getting rid of both Ken Williams and Rick Hahn. Yeah, I don't I, – I, it does not sound to me – I have not gotten the impression uh, that Brian Cashman is on the hot seat. I don't think that um, that that Hal Steinbrenner has the uh, has the appetite for that kind of – uh, upheaval. I do think Aaron Boone is gone. You can only call so many players on, you know, players meetings and 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 not come out of it with results, uh, you know, and ju- and just keep losing. And it's just it's just kind of embarrassing. Um, I know the players like him, but the results, you know, the results haven't been there. And you know, in the Bronx, you're judged on results as much as you are anywhere else. So um, if they're not delivering, then. Uh, uh, that's a problem. You're right. Um, I know Wander Franco was put on administrative leave while they continue to investigate out there the Dominican, the accusations against him. It's very possible, Jay, that he's played his last game as a big leaguer, and, and uh, it's it's just completely caught everybody by surprise because nobody really saw this one coming. Yeah, well, you know, that's the kind of stuff nobody really does see you know, coming because it's behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, we don't, you know, we're not... We're not privy to these players' personal lives except where they let us into it. And, and uh, um, yeah, I don't really know what to say about that one other than, geez, this is wild. I mean, you know, Franco was was considered a, a pretty close to a perfect prospect. We were the, he, he was the first prospect that uh, uh, our guy, uh, Eric Longenhagen, had ever given an 80 grade to, just maximum, uh, you know, maximum uh, future ability, um, superstar in the making, and, and – uh, um, you know, uh, on the field, it looked like he was progressing towards that with a few hiccups, but uh, you know, not uh, not inappropriate for you know for for someone of his age and experience level. But boy, this is just a whole different thing, and I don't think you know I don't think you know what to uh, what to make of it other than you know hope uh, if hope that the, you know if if he's done wrong, he's going to get prosecuted, and if that's the end of his career, well, you know there are consequences, and, and uh, uh, he may have blown it. Yeah, there's no doubt. And meanwhile, the Rays haven't missed a beat. I mean, they've won their last two. They've got the second-best record in the American League. Remember, they started uh, hotter than anybody, and they've kept that going. They really haven't had a big fall-off despite, uh, a, uh, I think it was a bad July when uh, the Orioles caught up to them and, and they were ice cold that month. But other than that, it seems like, uh, you know, they've they've put it together, and um, whether it's Basabi playing uh, shortstop and, and hitting the ball well, uh, I don't know. This team just has uh, enough offense to find a way to persevere. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been pretty remarkable given that, you know, the starting pitching they lost. They lost uh, Jeffrey Springs to Tommy John surgery, um, you know, and then they lost Drew Rasmussen and then Shane McClanahan, and, and just it's just – 
I don't know how many how many injuries you can withstand and how many how many losses you know player losses you can withstand, but um, they've been through a lot and. Uh, yeah, it's you know it, it does seem to be a very resilient team, and, and you know hats off to them for that. But um, you just wonder how long you know how long they can keep this up because uh, it, it's, I have I have a hard time believing it's 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 forever. <laughs> That's true. What are you going to be writing about the rest of the week? Uh, I've got something uh, in the works here on Spencer Torkelson, the top pick of the 2020 draft, who actually grew up uh, as my uh, my oldest cousin's next-door neighbor in, in Petaluma, California. And so I've always taken a bit of an interest in his career, and uh, he seems to be turning the corner uh, after a really rough rookie season. So uh, just taking a look, uh, somebody asked me about him in my chat uh, uh, yesterday, and I just want to take a look and see what's real and, and uh, what's a mirage. You know, it's funny. I think between Torkelson and Tristan Casas, those are two guys that are similar because they both really struggled last season. They both profiled as excellent uh, young first-base prospects, and it seemed like they both turned the corner around a very similar period of time. Yeah, I think you know I haven't looked at, at Casas yet, but I did. You know, I do know that he's uh, uh, he's been playing better. Um, he doesn't have the, quite the same power as uh, uh, as um, Torkelson. Uh, Torkelson, but uh, it's still very interesting, and you know, good for him for turning it around. It was a uh, a rough start for him, and um, you know, in, in Boston, you're in that media fishbowl, and you know, he's just doing things a little bit differently, and that was kind of the the uh, uh, the focus of of uh, uh, some controversy for a while, but uh, you know when you start to hit, people start to shut up uh, and just let you do what you could, what you what you want to do uh, your way, and that seems to be what's happening for him. I'll look forward to uh, that story uh, coming up uh, out at um, Fangraphs.com. Why don't you wrap it up with our beer pick of the week? Okay, so I had one of the great beer runs of all time when I was in uh, uh, San Diego last week. I went to I went to the store. Uh, that I knew uh, or had a pretty good hunch there was going to be uh, some Pliny the Elder there. And not mm. only did I get Pliny the Elder, but I got uh, Russian River Blind Pig, which is which is uh, their other uh, marquee IPA, and Heady Topper, which is now uh, has a wide enough distribution range that it, it turns up uh, even on the West Coast. So um, uh, the Pliny was great. I've profiled the Pliny before here. The one I wanted to talk about here was uh was was blind pig there's um some people feel you know some people who get exposure to to uh uh to the two russian river great beers uh will tell you that that uh, blind pig is 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 the better of the two i'm not sure i believe that and certainly uh even less convinced after having this one to be fair it was uh, it had been in the shop a month longer than the other one so late june as opposed to late july but uh it was still a very good uh, West Coast IPA, IPA old school, um, you know, pine, citrus, uh, uh, dankness to it. Um, not as high as the ABV of uh, Pliny, which is, I think, about 8% here. But uh, uh, still very good, but uh, uh, the jury's still out. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entirely convinced of what the locals will say uh, about, about uh, Blind Pig being the better one. I hope I get to try it again. Between Pliny the Elder and Hetty Topper, it sounds like you won the beer lottery when you were back there. It's, boy, those were, those are two beers that are very hard to come across, uh, uh, certainly here in New York. And, and I mean, I could only carry so much. Uh, I wanted to go back and get more to bring back in the suitcase, but, uh, um, we couldn't find the time to, to make it work. But, uh, uh, it was still very cool to, to get to do that. Good catching up with you again, Jay. We'll do it next week. Appreciate the time as always. 
All right. Thanks a lot, Steve. Take care. Jay Jaffe, folks, Fangraphs.com. Check him out on Twitter and uh, or X at J underscore Jaffe. And uh, his beer recommendations are on Untapped as well, the beer app that we like to f- talk about from time to time. 20 in front of five. More in a moment. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. The hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. 505-6009. That's our telephone number. It's Fantasy Wednesday with Jeff Erickson, rotowire.com. He'll join us 30 minutes from now. If you've got a question fantasy-wise, send it to us. 600 ESPN El Paso on the X. Here is El Paso Visuals Deportivos. With the NFL starting, I have to confess that I have never played in any fancy leagues. I think he means fantasy leagues, right? Um, I was thinking of finally trying it and see if I can win something, especially since I don't expect my Cowboys to do anything this year. Any tips and good advice are welcome. Well, that and hashtag take my money. That has to be a question for Jeff Erickson, don't you think? Yes. That is like uh, that is like a, a slow-pitch softball that we are tossing up for Jeff to knock out of the park. That's a great point. I think that Jeff will answer this one really well. And I, I would just tell you, Ivan, my only advice to you is maybe this is your first year. Maybe don't play for money. Just play to yeah. learn learn fantasy football. That's a good point. That is a good point. Uh, let's get back to that story about the ACC ramping up talks for adding Cal, Stanford, and SMU. Um, if SMU does go, what happens then to the AAC? Where do they look to replace SMU, or do they even look to replace SMU? Do they stay with an odd number? That's a good question. I, I don't know where they go. I mean, I, I think that's a very desirable conference for anybody in the Sun Belt. If I'm a team out there in the Sun Belt, maybe wanting to make a move. But then again, geography doesn't mean anything. So you could tell me a Mountain West team is interested to go to the American Athletic. You could tell me that maybe a team uh, from, you know, like the Big East or the West Coast Conference, if they want to just add basketball or other Olympic sports only for the American Athletic Conference, uh, I could definitely see that being the case because third Thirteen is just an ugly number for a conference. Thirteen is an ugly number. It doesn't make a lot of sense, especially as aggressive as they were earlier. It wouldn't uh, really, really uh, be possible to try to stay with with you know some kind of an odd number. I'm with you on that one. I really am. So I'm interested to see what what ends up happening uh, when it's all said and done. Hey, meanwhile, how about this story? Um, you know, people don't. I don't know if people realize this, but the when Conference USA put together their media deal with ESPN and CBS Sports Network, CUSA had every school sign a five-year grant of rights through 2027. So what this means is, is that the CUSA media deal, which is worth $800,000 annually per school, if, a, if anybody wants to leave... Prior to 2027, they much they might they have to pay that eight hundred thousand dollars for each year remaining in their grant of rights. CB uh, CUSA's previous media deal with the majority of games on Stadium and Facebook was only four hundred thousand dollars annually per school. So what this means is that if you have through 2027, so that would be what's see four five six four. So let's just say UTEP was to get an opportunity to go to the Mountain West or American Athletic or any any conference for that matter, and they want to go, it would cost them $800,000 for each year left on that media deal. So if they would leave 
at uh, you know starting next season. I guess that's what three point two million as an exit fee. Oh wow! So you're coupling it together. I the way I interpreted this was just the single year. You just pay that eight hundred thousand instead of uh, paying it all together. That's how I interpreted it. But well, I'm not it sure. says it says any school leaving before 2027 must pay eight hundred thousand dollars for each year remaining in their grant of rights. Wow! Each year remaining, and the grant of rights is through 2027. That's really interesting. I I uh, did. I guess I just didn't read it that way, but that makes a lot of sense now that you say it that way. If that's the case, what um, yeah, UTEP fans are not going to want to hear is that UTEP's bound by this conference unless uh, you know they've got some good friends, <clears throat> Paul Foster or something like that, who can give up you know three point two million. In that case, uh, that's that's a tough hill to climb. It's a tough hill to climb, but trust me, if they get if they get the opportunity to go, they will find a way to get that covered. Oh, I agree with that completely and, as well. And by the way, um, Mountain West, their exit fee is $30 million. And then after, I think, next season, it goes down to $15 million, And the American Athletic, it's like 12 or 10 or something like that. So even if it is a, um, you know, even if it's 800000 a year, so whatever that is, 3.2 over four years, if you, if you do the math, that's a bargain compared to these other leagues. You know, an interesting part as well, not a lot of other group of five conferences, they do have exit fees, but they don't necessarily have a grant of rights. That's an interesting part about this whole story. Um, and I, last year when I was really um, down on this TV deal, I still maintain a lot of the same things I talked about back then. And, uh, you know, even though this is more money than the previous deal, it's still CUSA. It's still on in this conference right now, and it's still not even close to the Mountain West or the American Athletic, even though all three of those conferences are quote-unquote group of five conferences. Yeah, I'm with you. So... You know, it's again, it's so interesting to see what ends up happening when it's all said and done and how CUSA tries to, um, you know, keep schools responsible. And I don't know, I still think $800,000 is not a lot compared to uh, a lot, most conferences and what those exit fees are. And the truth is, $800,000 is also a terrible media deal. Look, the Mountain West gets, I think, an average of like four or five uh, per school, and then the American Athletic is like close to seven or eight per school. Yeah, it's embarrassing, and it I is. get it. I, I know it's a step above from what it was before Stadium and being on Facebook and watching on these weird streaming platforms. I get it. Being on ESPN is a step up, but you're still playing Wednesday night football. You're still playing Tuesday night football in Conference USA. Oh, and by the way, it's a it's basically a conference, which is perfect for people who are in FCS to transition to FBS. That's what it is right now. Hey, Clearwater uh, on social put up a pretty good uh, idea. You know, UTEP has all these money games, Northwestern, Oklahoma, Michigan, twice with Nebraska, Tennessee, three with Texas over the next uh, four or five years. They could always just use that money to help cover those buyouts if they ever needed it. Ah, I love this. Then just, you know, punt on a season if you ever need to on just kind of budgets and stuff like that and use all the money that you get from these money games into uh, getting you to the Mountain West. Take the money and run, right? That's right. Hey, Hour two, right around the corner. We're with you till 6.30 on a nice, cloudy, rainy Wednesday here. Sports Talk at 600 ESPN El Paso. Hour number two is underway. Welcome back, everybody. If you're just joining us, Terry Funk passed away at the age of 79. For you wrestling fans out there, 
He also played at uh, West Texas A and M. He uh, there was a lot of a uh, lot of wrestlers who all in the mid '60s played college football in this area, either Texas Western in the case of uh, Kendall Windham, or in the case of Terry Funk, West Texas A and M. So also interesting story in the set in the sense '79. Man, that's uh, tough loss for the wrestling world. A lot of us that enjoyed Terry Funk. How about this? How about uh, Texas Athletic Director Chris Del Conte telling former um, NFL player um, turned reporter covering UT football, Anwar Richardson, that Texas needs to, and I quote, embrace the hate, end quote, in its final year in the Big 12. They will need to, Steve. They will have a big target on their back. Every team will want to beat Texas. Everybody is picking Texas to come out of the Big 12 and win uh, the league's title, which they haven't done in a long time. And I think it's something that the entire football team or maybe even athletic department will have to embrace this year being the last year in the Big 12. I know it. I think you're right about that. And listen, it's not just them, though. It's also Oklahoma. Understand that. Understand that. Not just Texas. OU as well. They're both going to the SEC after the season. So, uh, Jay Jaffe joined us on our Roto-Rooter hotline in our first hour. It will be uh, none other than Jeff Erickson uh, hopping on the Roto-Rooter hotline in about 15 minutes from now. So, Adrian, we stay busy on the phones today. And uh, as I get ready for a little fantasy talk, you're getting ready also for a very special event coming up here with our friend uh, Chris Hanna from ZGN Productions in about an hour. That's right. I'll be out at Alamo Draft House East. Uh, the screening starts at 6, so I'll bolt out of here soon. And uh, we are having a Q&A session with Chris Hanna, the director of Now or Never, a Tony Romo film uh, that will be airing tonight. Alamo Draft House East. I'm so excited to do it uh, and MC this event. And, you know, some great friends will be out there as well. David Garman from 915 Tours is actually putting this event up, and they are having some wonderful giveaways and wonderful uh, gifts for everybody involved. Well, I love that because uh, the truth is I've I've done this event at Alamo years ago when it first started and helped Chris out with that. And uh, for me, I, you know, I, I'm very, um, I, I don't know, I get, I get a little emotional when I talk about Chris and, and the project because I've seen it from really the start to now. And the fact that all these years later, he's getting a chance to get uh, national distribution and and uh, also uh, people being able to watch it on demand around the country. That's that's really exciting stuff. Right. I feel like this whole story for Chris Hanna and what he did to build this uh, documentary, Now or Never, a Tony Romo story, was all built on simple resiliency. I mean, he he never took no for an answer. He Every time you would, uh, you'd, he would uh, experience a roadblock, he would go through it and somehow or some shape so uh just a a tremendous story of resiliency on his side talking about a story uh for tony romo which also talks about a lot of resiliency so that's true stuff that is very true folks roto-rooters plumbers offer 24 7 emergency service you can call them now to request an appointment man they also offer flexible timing and quality service five-star customer reviews locally owned and operated when you need a plumber call the best roto-rooter 915-842-8600, 915-842-8600. 
8600 Roto Rooter, the sponsor of our 600 ESPN El Paso Hotline, where all of our guests always appear. Meanwhile, as Jeff gets ready to talk a little fantasy and Adrian gets ready to bolt out of here in a little bit, um, you know, we talked about the ACC ramping up talks for adding Cal Stanford SMU. You say to yourself, if that happens, then it's a foregone conclusion that Oregon State and Washington State are going to the Mountain West. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it, which I thought that was pretty much going to be the case anyway. So if, in fact, that does happen, the Mountain West would be with 14 schools. And maybe they stay 14. Maybe that's the number they want to stay. They're very calculated. They've resisted expansion when given the chance. Maybe that's the only, the only two schools they look to bring in. Right. I mean, you can maybe look at some of the other independents out there in just football specifically, uh, but they don't really make a lot of sense. I, you know, UConn has been floated out there as, as a team who could go uh, into any of these conferences. Is uh, They shot down the possibility of them joining the Big 12 recently. And it's because UT, uh, UConn really values the Big East. So why leave the Big East in basketball? And you know, for men and women, when you've had so much success in that sport, you're right. You're right. And um, let's just say 14 schools is where it goes. Say SMU decides to go also and leaves the AAC, and the AAC has an opening. It is possible. It is possible that a school from Conference U from the Mountain West goes to the AAC. The only downside is when you've got a 30 million dollar exit fee. And you're only going to be making an extra five or six million a year in rights fees. It doesn't seem reasonable to want to bail out of one league and go and make a parallel move. Especially knowing that uh, it's not really, it doesn't make a lot of sense proximity wise, unless you're Colorado State, unless you're maybe uh, Utah State, maybe if you're uh, Boise State, but that's a bit of a stretch right there. So it doesn't really make Air Force if you really wanted to. Doesn't really make sense, in my opinion. I feel like just keep the American Athletic Conference as it is, and uh, the Mountain West will just inherit those two schools that weren't accepted by anybody else. The only thing that makes sense to me is San Diego State tries to get into the AC. ACC to be that even number unless the ACC is bracing themselves for losing um, another three schools and uh, they're just trying to make sure that they don't put themselves in jeopardy. Yeah, I mean, now it's all about conferences not being vulnerable at this point. So you kind of look at your big dogs in the conference for the ACC. It's Florida State. It's Clemson. It's uh, North Carolina. Those three schools right there. If you're the ACC, you don't want to lose those schools right there. And then everybody else, well, uh, just just keep going and, you know, stay in the ACC as a Power 5 affiliate. Look, SMU has been good in football and basketball. Those are the two big sports they have. They have the Dallas market. That is huge when you're talking about the ACC. And also, they believe, they view themselves as a Power 5 school. There are a lot of people at SMU that believe that if TCU can do it and Houston can do it, why can't SMU do it? And that's really what the biggest, uh, to me, Adrian, the, the biggest thing is with this whole deal is, you know, there's a lot of jealousy and there's a lot of, of hard feelings at SMU when some of their peers that were with them for the ride left them to go to the Big 12, and SMU has always viewed themselves because of the money they have to spend their success in their TV market. They've always viewed themselves 
as a Power 5 school. And look at what we're saying right here. We're saying that money can buy your way into being a Power 5 school, and that's what we're seeing right here from SMU. It's kind of what we saw from Houston to some degree, although they've Mm -hmm. had success. But SMU hasn't had success in their major sports, football, men's basketball. Not not, uh, great success, maybe success for a group of five school or a mid-major school, but not on that level. They probably looked at North Texas joining the American Athletic and said, wait, 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 why are we in the same league as North Texas? We're pretty much in the same area, same uh, you know DFW uh, Metroplex. Why are we doing this right here? Why do we? Uh, are, why are we in this conference with North Texas? So here's the other question, okay? And this is the big one. If if the American Athletic needs to replace SMU, they're probably going to come calling from Conference USA because they just took six of them already. It makes sense. You know, Western Kentucky, La Tech, Middle Tennessee, they're all, you know, they're all going to want to go. They're all going to want to be that school, um, especially if the Mountain West fills up with their two and they say, we're done. So the question is, if you're UTEP and you're giving an opportunity to possibly be in the AAC versus Conference USA, do you take it? Without a doubt, of course. I, in my opinion, you you always try to upgrade if you're UTEP. But I don't know if they're even consider what if you're the American Athletic. Do you go? Hey, let's say let's bring Liberty right away. Why not? Mm. You know, Liberty's got all this money over there. They've had success in football. They've yeah. had success in men's basketball. They keep bringing coaches to a higher level. Their coaches get hired at either the Power Five level or a high major level. So let's just bring Liberty. They've had a lot of recent success and they but, have deep pockets. But they're also it's also an evangelistical school does the aac want to deal with that they know they have money they know all that stuff and they could have attracted them the first time around but they said no so i don't know if they're going to want to go for them this time around that's yeah. a really good question. It's a good point. I mean, you, you know, all their beliefs uh, are definitely something to come with all this as a package deal for Liberty. I still think that, uh, given the opportunity, the American Athletic would definitely take Liberty over UTEP. You do. Well, that, but then again, I don't know if the American Athletic Conference even wants Liberty. I don't know who they want. I don't even know how that would work. So that's what's so interesting about that. But, you know, we've talked so much about the Mountain West, this Mountain West, that. Hey, if UTIP gets an opportunity to go upgrade and it's not the Mountain West and it's the AAC, you know, do you, you take the money and run. You probably take it and say, yep, we're going, right? You upgrade your conference. 100%. Point, and no doubt about it. So, yeah. And if you're worried about the travel costs, look where you've been flying in Conference USA for the last 15 years and you're getting, instead of $800,000 a deal a year in the media deal, maybe you're getting closer now to whatever it is, eight, ten, whatever you might be dealing with. So that could also play a factor into this situation. Adrian's gone. Sal Montes is here. All right, Sal, let me catch up on what we're talking about. ACC is now getting very serious with Cal, Stanford, and SMU. And if SMU goes, that means the AAC loses a school. Chances are they're going to want to replace. Chances are... Conference USA is going to be right there trying to figure out which other school that might go since they just took six schools earlier. And you say to yourself, you know, would UTEP, if they're given a chance, would they be would they be the AAC's favorite to go and join the league considering all these schools from Texas just left in the last wave and ultimately one school? Who do you think would be the CUSA favorite from the league to maybe replace SMU? 
Oh man, it, it, it's tough to call, but I think what I, in my opinion, what I would probably do first off is look at the teams who just joined Conference USA mm-hmm. and see who doesn't want to pay that exit fee, so to speak. I, I, I haven't looked into the logistics, so that's number one in my mind, uh, because when I walked in, I heard you guys talking about Liberty. Out yeah. of everybody, they're the clear-cut favorite, in my opinion, to go to the AAC, barring any you know exit fees or things like that. But original, I guess, Conference USA teams remaining. Um, oh man, it's, it's really they're all going to want out. Everybody's going to want out. Maybe Western Kentucky. But will Just, Western Kentucky leave Middle Tennessee behind? That's the other question. And not, not only about that, Middle Tennessee at that point, if you're Western, I mean, you you do what's best for you, not for your rival. Here's my thing: Do they even does does the AC even want Liberty? They could have had Liberty the first time around, and they said no. They didn't take them. That's why they're in CUSA. They know they have money. They know what they bring. But I don't necessarily know if the AC even wants to deal with Liberty right now. Maybe not. But, I mean, do they want a, a power team in that conference? Because you look at some of the teams around the uh, the AAC, I think Liberty can can contend with them. You know, oh, on a I, listen, sure. I don't think that's the issue. I don't think contending is an issue. I don't think spending is an issue. I think that's all a given. I just don't know. As I said earlier, there's a reason why it's taken Liberty so long to get into a league. And that is most conferences didn't want to deal with it. They just didn't want, they didn't want to, you know, they, they weren't interested in Liberty. I think it's the negative press probably that they didn't want. Well, again, it's a, it's an evangelistical school. So you say to yourself, does, you know, Conference USA took them, but Conference USA had no choice. Conference USA needed schools to avoid collapsing, right? Yeah. The AC doesn't need Liberty. They don't need them. They can take whoever they want. So the question is, who do they want if they if they have an opportunity to replace uh, if they have an opportunity to replace SMU if they leave? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, because looking at Conference USA right now, it's it's okay on paper; it can be competitive. But in terms of what they have to offer, you're giving up something to get something. Whenever mm-hmm. you look at Conference USA, if you're the AAC, you're right. You're absolutely right. Eighteen past. Jeff Erickson next. Right after uh, we've got uh, D Wu. He's back and has another. Uh, update for us on traffic. Uh, D, give us the latest here on this uh, cloudy Wednesday in El Paso. Well, there's no rain in the... Back here on Sports Talk 22 past the hour, Jeff Erickson is with us. From rotowire.com, your one-stop shop for fantasy sports. Folks, uh, as you know, fantasy football drafts are going on like crazy. They're everywhere. So if you want the lowdown, the the, the way to prepare for your draft, you just got to get to rotowire.com. Check it out. They've got everything. They've got the draft kit. They've got draft strategy, news rankings, projections, best ball, dynasty, depth charts. They, they, they've got everything you need. And the best part is you can even try it out for free. No credit card required. Get 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 all the stuff you need. And then once you realize how good it is, you're going to become hooked on it like so many of our listeners have, Jeff. Steve, you, you, I couldn't even do an advertising pitch better than that. Thank you, as always. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. We'll we'll talk more about the site in a little bit. How are you doing? And how are you holding up with uh, with all the your, your drafts and trying to you know get yourself set for the start of the fantasy football season? 
Let me tell you, it is a crazy time right now. I traveled last week. I'm traveling tomorrow, sending my girl, my girl off to college tomorrow, Ooh. then going to Vegas for uh, some radio obligations, and then I'm uh, – I got the NFFC in a, a week, a week before, uh, the week after in Vegas also. So lots of traveling coming up. I think I have three drafts next Monday, uh, another draft Tuesday. It's just it, the hits keep on coming. It sounds like it, but there's no other, there's no better time of the year as far as fantasy football, is there? Oh, it's the best. It's why why we do this here. I'm I'm loving it. But uh, yeah, head spinning right now. That's for sure. But it's great. Uh, just. So much going on, and we're starting to get some real definition of this season. Some, you know, whether it's contracts or injuries or just an idea of where people are going to be, we're getting closer to that. I like that. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, let's talk about him right now and the trade saga and where this is going. And what happens right now if you're looking at Jonathan Taylor on the board? What do you do? You know, I keep hoping someone takes them early so I don't have to. It That happened in a draft I was in yesterday where middle of the second round, someone took them, I think, two picks before me. I was drafting in, in the sixth slot, so 2.7 on the way back, and someone took them middle of the second round. I was kind of pleased with that, to be honest, because I would not have taken them at that price. I'm with you on that. And if he does get traded, um, who are you trying to prospect right now? Who do you think you could get a bar- as a bargain price, and maybe their value just rockets up in the in the uh, in value? Well, I, I think wherever he gets traded, they're probably going to get a running back in return. Because I mean, I look at the Colts' running back room, and it's pretty barren. Otherwise, yep. it's Deion Jackson, it's Zach Moss, who's hurt right now. Uh, there's really not a ready-made internal solution. Now, the Colts, that may not matter. They, they may feel like running back doesn't matter. Judging by uh, Jim Irsay's comments, maybe that's the, they're comfortable with that notion. Uh, they, they dealt with this world last year. There was a definite drop-off when Taylor didn't play last year, though. So, I don't know. Um, I, I think, like, if they, for instance, if Philly weighs in and tries to trade for him, they're probably sending one of their running backs in return. And that, that running back in return will actually be in a pretty decent spot to get a good amount of workload if they, once they get the offense. Um, like, but if Taylor goes to Philly, I think it hurts him. If he go even with that good offensive line, just because it's such a crowded running back room. If he goes to Miami, though, yeah, maybe maybe that that they uh, they'd be more inclined to give him a bigger role. If he goes to Buffalo, maybe he'd be more inclined to get a bigger role. Although I think James Cook will take some of the passing downs. What if he goes to Dallas? Poor Tony Pollard. How could we do that to Tony Pollard? Um, it would really hurt Tony Pollard, who's a helium guy already. So uh, that would that would be a big reckoning in our world. I guess they could always sign Leonard Fournette, right, and and plug him in to be a replacement running back in Indy. Uh, sure, I suppose. Um, he's going to play somewhere in this league, you would think. Uh, I'm, I'm Frankly, I'm surprised he hasn't signed yet. Maybe he's just kind of waiting out the, uh, the the news cycle here, Get judging by the offers he's gotten, maybe realizes that he's better off waiting. I, I, I guess that's the strategy. You know, you mentioned uh, Helium Watch uh, and, and some of the players that are really getting a, a lot of play right now. Who's really seen their stocks rise? Calvin Ridley. He's someone that he keeps on going higher and higher in drafts. I'm big on him. I like him a lot, and I'm finding I'm getting aced out on him now. Uh, and that's fine. There'll be others uh, that I like too, but it, it's really kind of interesting to see that everyone is now on board with him. You're getting him late second, early to mid third now, and earlier you, know, you could get him in the fifth round. So I'll have to find another target there instead. What about uh, Elijah Moore in Cleveland? You know, he got hurt early, so that kind of dragged a little bit of his value. And the fact is, you know, the returns from Deshaun Watson so far in camp and in the preseason haven't been great. I think Moore's price is very reasonable. All right. I had a great question come uh, our way 
from one of our regulars about, about fantasy. And it was, it's a very interesting question. It's almost a primer, I would say, for you. So here you go, and I need uh, the best advice you can possibly give them. All right? So that's the, okay. that's the key with this. And it comes from El Paso Visuals Deportivos. And he says, with the NFL starting, I have to confess that I have never played in any fantasy leagues. I was thinking of finally trying it and see if I can win something, especially since I don't expect my Cowboys to do anything this year. Any tips and good advice are welcome. Hashtag take my money. I would find some friends that are in a league. It's a way more fun when you know the people you're playing against. Uh, I'd be more concerned with the experience than the money. Um, I think that's the first takeaway. If you can't, failing that, you want to play in a league, um, first of all, know the league specs. You know, no, you know, a lot of leagues, leagues are leagues, and especially contests open to the public, all have different formats. Uh, knowing how many uh, quarterbacks you start is huge. Knowing how many wide receivers you start is huge. Whether it's PPR or half point PPR or standard, which means zero points per uh, per, per reception, that's huge. Uh, all of these things are, 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 you know, really help you do well in that league. If you don't have the the basics of the league down, you're going to struggle a little bit. Good point. Good advice. I like that. So know the league before you start to play. All right, yeah, at least put the time in to, to do that. Uh, don't go with a, a three-month-old magazine. You know, Make sure you're actually getting up-to-date information. Uh, things change in a hurry in this league. And, and yeah, we haven't had the massive Jordy, Jordy Nelson injury this year where a, a top fancy player is out in the preseason, but we are getting a lot of little injuries here and there, and those all matter too. I'm with you. All right. Good advice, and hopefully that helps you a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, I've seen a lot of stories about Zeke uh, in New England. He likes it, says he's a good fit. You know, with uh, Rashonde Stevenson and what he's been able to do, um, I'm really interested to see the impact that Zeke will have uh, in terms of maybe uh, taking part of Stevenson's carries out there in New England. Absolutely. Uh, you got to think at the very least uh, Zeke's goal line carries are at risk. I mean, Zeke will cut into Stevenson's goal line carries at the very least, probably even more. I'm with you. Um, at the same time, he's playing in a supporting role, kind of more of an insurance plus slash um, complementary back. And you could almost say the same thing for Antonio Gibson out there in Washington, wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, well, Gibson, it's... I'm still not sold that Brian Robinson is better than Antonio Gibson. I think he's better between the tackles, but not by like a wide margin. I, I've always found Gibson's usage to be questionable. Uh, that they they should use him more than they do. Uh, that said, you know it hasn't happened yet, and you know I. I I, 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 it's the same coaching staff. Well, you have a new offensive coordinator, but you still have the same head coach. Maybe Eric Bieniemy will see things in a different light, um, and that, that's the reason for hope on Gibson. Yeah, especially since in Kansas City, they've, I don't want to say it's been a revolving door of running backs, but everybody thought Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, was going to be the guy, and then all of a sudden he gets phased out one season. Yeah, I don't think he's ever you know fully recovered from that nasty injury he suffered in New Orleans. You know, uh, I, I think he's he's fundamentally changed as a player now. More uh, as we continue with uh, Jeff, but first, bottom of the hour, let's send it over to Sal. He's hanging out and has this Sports Center update for us. 
everything you need for your league at rotowire.com. But they do all sports, including baseball, which has been a regular focus of ours here on the program. Uh, Let's talk baseball right now. Number one, um, I guess one of the big stories is always new players coming on board. Finally, finally, Kyle Harrison gets his chance to debut, um, and he only threw 60 pitches, and then the Giants pulled him. So I know it wasn't a dominant outing, but I know there's also some fantasy owners that would have liked to have seen more than just 60 pitches from the talented lefty. Yeah, but this is kind of how he was used a lot in AAA, too. He's never been a guy that gives you – he's not an innings eater. He's the opposite of that. Um, so realizing that, you kind of have to kind of take that with the appropriate grain of salt and realize that highly touted prospect, you may not get you a whole lot of wins. That's true. Were you shocked the Angels called up their first-round draft pick, Nolan uh, Shanuel, uh, for his debut? No, because it's the Angels. This is the same team that brought up Chase Silseth in the year he was drafted as a pitcher. Um, so they, they frequently promote their top rookie, top prospects very early. Sometimes want to keep them out of AAA Salt Lake. That's true. Um, do you expect Shanuel uh, to see a lot of ABs, or as soon as CJ Cron is back, is he going right back down to the minors? I don't know how they're going to handle it. I mean, the fact that they're they're having Shanuel bat lead off to me uh, is indicative that they like his uh, batting skills. Uh, made a key error yesterday. Um, yes, did. Really hurt against the Reds. Now they're also at the point where their season's kind of done. Um, they, they, they all of a sudden are like nine, ten games out of the wild card. Uh, Otani had to leave today, start early uh, with an injury, and he had been skipped a previous start. They're, they're kind of hitting that stage where they made the, the good effort, but it's not working. I'm worried about Otani as a pitcher, not as a hitter. He hit his 44th home run today, but I am definitely worried that the Angels might uh, try to err on the side of caution, and you might not see much of Otani over the last uh, six weeks of the season as far as pitching goes. Yeah, um, I think that's entirely plausible. All right. Uh, Meanwhile, let's talk about uh, another rookie who just got a call this week, Noel Marte, one of yours from Cincinnati via Seattle in a trade a few years ago. Yeah, um, they keep on bringing up their top prospects. They say they're going to play Marte pretty regularly at third base. Uh, This is, you know, and with Jonathan India out there, they kind of need that extra infielder for a little bit. Spencer Steer has been pretty much transitioned to the outfield at this point. It's usually Elliott short, McLean at second, and now uh, Marte at third. So that's where they're kind of lining things up. Dela Cruz went nuts today, by the way. Six RBIs for the Reds. Yeah, and yesterday he won with his legs. Today he won with his bat. Love seeing it there. Is there anybody faster from first to second on a steal right now than Dela Cruz? I'm not sure about first to second. I know home to third he's the fastest. Um, first, I mean, he's got to be up there. Uh, technique might be a little bit off, but, yeah, pure speed, and especially the longer the run, the better off he is compared to the field. And he's so big and tall and lanky that you could tell when he gets his steps in, it, it just seems like, you know, it's impossible to try to throw him out. Exactly. He just chews up the ground. Yeah, he does. Mike Trout came back uh, for the Angels. Uh, how big is that for fantasy owners? Uh, it's it could be potentially huge. Uh, though I read something from Will Carroll today saying, like, you know, just last week when he was stepping in the cage, he goes, this is going to hurt. You know, so he's playing through some pain right now. It's, it's, there's always a, there's still that risk of shutdown, especially with the Angels falling out of it. But and just realize, Trout's not going to run. Um, just yeah. be aware of that. Um, we'll see about the Hammett bone. Sometimes guys come back after three weeks like nothing happened. Sometimes they miss six weeks and they're still affected. 
when they come back. I remember Joey Gallo was that way. Meanwhile, I got let's let's keep jumping back to your team, the Reds. I hate to keep hopping back and forth, but the Nicoladolo injury situation is really concerning. He's had this leg injury all season practically, and he just had a setback trying to come back uh, in Triple A, and now he's trying to get a second opinion. It is so rare when you see a, uh, I believe it was it, it's a tibula for a pitching injury. Yeah, um, and he, he just just the other day he came tried to come back. You know, had a rehab start, was hurting afterwards. So, I mean, the thing is, you know, the thing that's so vexing is the Reds could have used some extra depth here, so they don't have yeah. any urgency in bringing him back. They can do the right thing and bring him back at whenever he's ready, as opposed to when it, when they need him. You know. They tried. I think that they also realize that they want to get their ace back because uh, as good as Abbott and Ashcraft have been as of late, they realize the value Lodolo would bring down the stretch, which is probably why they've tried to be as careful as possible. Now you wonder if he's just going to have to have surgery to really address this the right way. Exactly. Uh, Him and, you know, Hunter Green came back and got torched. He did have his velocity at least, but still, something to watch for there. Um, You know, to see, like, what what they get out of these guys because you got to think long term with these two. You do, you absolutely do. All right, uh, let's talk also about um, Jonathan Aranda. Well, what can you tell us about him? And uh, is he somebody who uh, you know could get a pretty good look uh, at the big league level? Uh, yeah, he could. Uh, you know, it's this time of year. It's easy to kind of lose track of these guys that are getting the call. Uh, sometimes you see uh, where, where some of these players, when they get the call up, you know, like, okay, well, I, I didn't even notice he got the call up. We're thinking about our football drafts. We're watching the playoff races. Maybe not, we don't really realize sometimes just how important, some, you know, you know what, what these guys can do possibly. We talked uh, earlier about uh, the website, uh, rotowire.com, what you have for fantasy fans. Why don't you preview a couple of stories on the site and let our listeners know how they can cash in. I mean, the, the quickest, easiest way uh, on the football side is just check out our training camp notes every day. Jim Coventry does a great job of breaking it down. Obviously, we've got rankings, profiles, uh, projections, you name it. Uh, there, we've got a bi weeks article up there by Eric Segrist. Uh, we even have like a preseason waiver wire column by Kevin Payne. You can check all that out on the football side. Uh, the baseball side, uh, James Anderson's cracking out the great prospect work. Uh, any prospect you, that gets the call up, you can check out his player profile. You can usually see his rank on him. All sorts of good stuff. Rotowire.com slash free gets you that, is that gateway to see it for free for a couple of days. No credit card required. Just put in a valid email address and off you go. Terrific stuff. All right, Jeff, look forward to having you back. Are, are you in town next week or do we need to uh, pivot? Uh, I'm in town on Wednesday. I'm good for Wednesday. Awesome. We'll talk to you then. Take care and always appreciate the analysis. You bet. Thanks, Steve. Jeff Erickson, rotowire.com. 20 in front of six as we continue here on Sports Talk. When we return, more of your calls, your questions. Sal will weigh in on some of the big issues. And then before you know it, Chihuahua's baseball less than an hour from now. Chihuahua's in Sacramento right here on your home for Chihuahua's baseball. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. 
505-6009, that is our telephone number. Legendary pro wrestler Terry Funk died today at the age of 79. Man, uh, one of the all-time greats. Talked about that earlier. Right now, reports are ACC is reconsidering adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Hit uh, on that story earlier as well. How about Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark uh, telling Texas Tech coach Joey McGuire to take care of business against Texas? How weird is that? I mean, they're still in the conference one more year, yeah. but it's always nice when the commissioner tells the uh, one of the current members of the league to go out and beat uh, an outgoing member of the same league. No, yeah, and it, it also kind of lets you know that, hey, if you're saying this early on, we know internally you might feel that way, but if you want to express that externally, that's a bit uh, that's a bit more... Uh, I guess bad news, so to speak, if you're Texas or Oklahoma or any team who's gonna any team who's gonna leave their conference, right? But for yeah. the, for the Big Twelve, kind of makes you wonder: Hey, are they gonna get the uh, the crap end of the stick when it comes to officiating? Um, you know, well, travel, whatever the case is. We know yeah. the commissioner's against Texas. Yeah. That's for sure. Here's Brett Yormack uh, from earlier today. In addition, candidly, we're able to get Texas and Oklahoma out a year early. That was a big deal for us, and I think all of you. Okay. And coach, I'm not going to put any pressure on you, but I'm going to be in Austin for Thanksgiving. Okay. And you better take care of business like you did right here in Lubbock last year. Wow. What a Mm. boy. That's a that's bulletin board material for the Longhorns. We already know that they are going to be the team that everybody's going to be gunning for in that league including the commissioner who wants to see Texas go down, which is so weird because if Texas wins it all, that is a ton of money for the Big 12. They would cash in on that. It's a nice parting gift for the for the conference. No, it definitely is, but that's basically it's kind of like the the hot girl breaking up with you to to go out with a more muscular buff guy who's going to be a rich gazillionaire. Okay, I like that. Like, hey, thank you. You use me as a stepping stone. I really wish you the best. Yeah, I think that I think that's a good way to look at it. I like that a lot. Uh, Forty nine passed as we continue here on Sports Talk five zero five six zero zero nine. So the Forty ers have said that Trey Lance will not be the uh, the starter or the backup. Sam Darnold is now the backup to Brock Purdy heading into twenty twenty three. So now that Trey Lance will be a third-string reserve, and the Niners will be exploring their options. With Lance, you wonder, um, where will the potential next landing spot for Trey Lance be? Because according to The Athletic, the 49ers never received a significant trade offer from Lance. So uh, he was absent from today's practice, according to the San Jose Mercury News. And now you start to say, all right, where could Trey Lance go? And I'm looking at one storyline. Somebody, uh, the the teams like the Vikings are mentioned, the Rams, the Dolphins. Um, You see any of those as as good spots? Or are there any other NFL teams you think would be great for Trey Lance? Uh, It's tough to call so early on. um, But number one that that I could think of is probably the Atlanta Falcons. 
um, you know, a quick landing spot for for Trey Lance. Maybe the Panthers. I know that they. Um, I know that they're trying to revamp their their quarterback spot, and I haven't kept up too too much on the roster, but I believe they have Andy Dalton, if I'm not mistaken. However, can you rely on on Andy Dalton to last a full season? Health wise, and let's say he is healthy, what what are the Panthers doing at that point? Um, but on the flip side, the Panthers are on the way up too. So do they want to jeopardize what the momentum that they're building to get Trey Lance? Um, but pretty much all around the league is looking at a backup quarterback spot. So it's tough to really call it. Maybe the Browns is another one, but uh, I think the same could be said every year for the Browns. You know what's interesting about the Vikings is that. This could be Kirk Cousins' final year with the team. He will be a free agent after this season. And apparently, they really haven't done any serious renegotiations for a contract extension. So maybe you bring him into Minnesota, and you kind of have Trey Lance as the future quarterback of that NFL franchise. Maybe so. Um, But if the Vikings get closer and closer to postseason success and Kirk Cousins does really good, does that kind of light the fire to say, hey, you know what, stick around a bit longer? Or, you know, Trey Lance could still be that that project yeah. under veteran Kirk Cousins. Well, Nick Mullins right now is the backup quarterback. And, I, you know, I mean, there's really no future for Nick Mullins, Jaron Hall, um, or anybody to be the heir apparent out there in Minnesota. So, to me, you're right. If Kirk Cousins leads them to a division championship even though he'll be 36 years old next year. That's the hard part, too. Yeah, true. Are you going to give a 36-year-old a contract extension for three or four years and have him play it till he's 40? Or then do you look to the future of somebody like Trey Lance, who you could see as you know still a, a, a really nice prospect, although the flip side is if he couldn't beat out Sam Darnold, and be the backup quarterback yeah. to Brock Purdy, do you really think he has much value at all around the NFL? Yeah, that's a good point, especially when it's a it's a quarterback league now. And if you you can't if you can't make it a second string in this league, it's going to be very very tough for you. And, and kind of sticking with the uh, Kirk Cousins back to what you were mentioning, I saw the um, the quarterback documentary on Netflix, and just alone, Kirk Cousins gives off a very um, homebody type of vibe a family guy you mentioned it. he's going to be 36 or is 36 already he might want to spend time with his family too regardless yeah. of the success that they may have this year he seems like the kind of guy to to hang it up just to go spend time with his family and i wouldn't fault him for that isn't it crazy though that you know trey lance was the starter last year brock purdy was the last pick in the draft he was the number three behind lance and garoppolo and then Lance gets hurt, and that's the end of that. Purdy comes in, saves the day. Now you got a whole new quarterback situation in San Francisco, and suddenly the number three overall pick from the 2021 NFL draft is looking for a new spot. That's just the way of the NFL right now. It's a it's a copycat league all around, and I bring this up, um, and I, I know this isn't the, the exact argument here, but – People say it's not a running running back league anymore. Mm-hmm. When you look back ten years ago, it was pretty much a you know running backs were valued yeah. at a way way higher point. But what I'm getting at though is now second string quarterbacks are, are kind of like in and out from year in year out with multiple teams. Good point. And, and if Trey Lance isn't going to be that that number one guy and he can't be your backup guy 
what do you even do at that point? Regardless if if he's a number, what was he a number one, number two, number three pick? Yeah. No matter where you were drafted, people aren't holding on to that anymore. It's a good point. All right, uh, two in the books, thirty to go. When we come back, Dallas Cowboys update. Tim Haggerty, Chihuahuas baseball. Sal Montes and I will be back though with more sports talk right here, six hundred ESPN El Paso. Here we go, final hour on Sports Talk, final 30 minutes. Along with Sal Montes, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Welcome back, everybody. UTEP football, three days away. 2.30 on Saturday. Countdown to kickoff. 3.30, John Teicher, along with Cole Freitag. Mondo the Monster Medina on the sidelines from Jacksonville, Alabama. It'll be UTEP and Jacksonville State right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. That game will probably end around 7 or 7.30. And then when it's over and the uh, and the postgame show is over, Adrian, Sal, Zay with minor talk on location from the district. 32-33 North Mesa. That is the first time Minor Talk has been live on location. It's going to be doing that all season long. I'm super excited for you guys. And, uh, Sal, I know you're just ready for UTEP football, aren't you? Yeah, big time. This is a really exciting season that's coming up. A lot of hype around it. A lot of returners as well and guys who can play on Sunday uh, that are on this roster, in my opinion, and a totally revamped Conference USA. Mm -hmm. So uh, a a lot to look forward to. Obviously, some things happen, but um, you got to look at it with the glass half full, especially with the new season coming up. I agree with you. Now, listen, um, I'm with you on the glass half full approach. I also wonder, with the new look of Conference USA, if, um, and we say it every year, if this is going to be the year that UTEP breaks through and really turns the corner on this program. Uh, I talked about this on Monday's show. I was I was actually arguing about this with Minor Eddie Mack, who said that he thinks uh, you know they'll be competitive in 85% of the games. And I said, listen, they were competitive last year. They were competitive the year before. Now it's time to take the next step and go from just being competitive yeah. to winning um, you know, seven, eight games a year and not and putting yourself in a chance to be a perennial postseason bowl team. Yeah, this isn't just one season that you want to have after this year, so to speak. You want to see the remnants transfer over to the next year. And there's been some, right, these last couple of years where it gives you a little bit of hope, but fans have been hopeful for about three years in a row. They want some postseason success. They want this team to to not be competitive, as you mentioned, They've already shown that they could do that. Go out there and seal the deal. Win the damn game. ABC, always be closing. They're so close to reeling it in. Now this is the year where they really got to, in a wide open league pretty much, got to put their foot on the necks of their opponents instead of, you know, kicking them here or there. They're never going to have better quality at all the key positions in terms of talent than they have right now this year. I mean, think about it. They're all back from last year for the most part. Almost everybody but buyers on the offensive line, they're all back. They got a big veteran group. You know, you got Tyron Smith coming back after going to A&M for a few months. You've got Hankins, the running game, Hardison, that offense, the defensive line. Um, you know, that's, that's what I mean. It's like uh, this team, 
this team has been there. They the same group was there two years ago when they won seven and nearly knocked off Fresno and Albuquerque in the Mexico Bowl. Same group dealt with the uh, heartbreak of their five and seven season, including having UTSA down big and not being able to close that one when they had the chance. So now, if they want to. This is the opportunity to finally turn the corner with this group in the program. Yeah, and and on top of all of that, right? They opened up with conference play this Saturday, but it's against a team that's uh, that's playing their first ever game mm-hmm. uh, after that transition. Now, what the future holds for Jack State? Who knows? The the upside's there. However, it doesn't matter. UTEP, you are one of the veterans in this league. Go out there and show it. Play like it. That's the key. Play like it. You're right. I hope they are. I hope they live up to that because they haven't played, you know, they've, they've, played, they've played competitive, but now you want to see them take that next step. It's, it's six years now. It's, it's, he's built the program, meaning Dana Dimmel has built the program from the ground up, and I think this is the year for the Miners to take that next step. Yeah, and we've seen it in, in games throughout the tenure of Dana Dimmel. Even going back to, um, to the COVID year, they went on the road against Louisiana and demolish them, which is something the Miners hadn't done. They hadn't won like that in a very long time. You're right. You, you see them play great defense against Louisiana Tech in multiple years. It's transitioned to, to a couple of wins, but they've shown those flashes. Boise State, other games that we can name. Go out there and play like that consistently. You're going to have yourself a great season. You got it. I agree with you. Let's keep moving. Phones. Enrique, he joins us next. To begin hour number three here on Sports Talk, Enrique, welcome aboard. How are you? Hey, thanks, Cap. Uh, I, first of all, I just want to say thanks for that recommendation and the shout-out last week. I took your advice, and I wore my Chihuahua gear at the Ranger game. Oh, cool. How'd it go? It went well. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see Hedges play for the first half, but he did show up for the last three innings, so it was cool to see him. There you go. That's awesome, man. Good for you. Did you get anybody, anybody noticing that Chihuahua's jersey in the uh, at the ball game? I got a lot of props for my Chihuahua jersey. It wasn't just the old Chihuahua. was the new one that that tailored for the San Diego Browns. Oh, that's cool. That's exactly what you've got on. Very nice. The Friar Friday jerseys. Very good. It was a good, it was a good experience. Good um, but I want to chime on the UTEP game. Yep. I, I got a new jersey. Man, it looks slick. I got that minor magic jersey today, Cap. I have ever been this excited for UTEP football in a long time. Now you're wearing that 88 throwback. That's the one you picked up? I sure did. Just today at the bookstore when I go in, I got to pick up my book today. Good for you, Enrique. And by the way, props to you. That's not a cheap jersey. Way to drop some serious cash on that, baby. And know you're going to be having that uh, on uh, when you start you know, wearing it around town this year. Good for you. I'm excited. And, Cap, I know it's way too soon, but I really feel this UTEP squad has a lot of potential. I'm picking our minors to go forward and it'll be getting the season. Oh, my God. From your mouth to God's ears. If they do that, that means that they would have defeated not just Jacksonville State and Incarnate Word, but that also means they beat Northwestern and they go beat Arizona. Exactly. I've been talking about it ever since they scheduled it, Kat. I've been telling and telling you. I've been telling the Utah football players. I'm. That's the game I have penciled in on the calendar ready to watch on the big screen, UTEP versus Northwestern. I, I really feel they they thought they can just pick up UTEP as a money game, but I think we're going to surprise them. We're going to take that money and laugh it all the way to the bank with that win. Good. I like the attitude. I like the confidence. Terrific stuff. Hey, I'm, I, I said this too. 
if there was ever a time to play Northwestern and 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 no, you can go in there and win, it's this year. That program is in turmoil. They've been involving a scandal. They lose their head coach. They've got an interim right now trying to keep this thing together. I mean, listen, you're never, ever going to get a better opportunity to play the Northwestern Huskies in this year. No, I, 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 it's horrible what's going on in Northwestern, but yep. you hit the hammer right on the nail. And I think this is a great opportunity for us to not just get a classical win, but that exposure we need on a big network. Yeah, that's true. They'll be on the Big Ten Network. If they go to the Big Ten Network and they lay it to Northwestern, that would be a big, big deal uh, for El Paso. That really would. Great for the program, and it would definitely – I think it would It'd be a great way to set things up for that Arizona game. They'd be flying high confidence-wise. And if they go 4-0 and they're back home against UNLV um, uh, to be 5-0, oh, this place is going to go crazy. Oh, you'll, you'll see me right, right there running the field, Cap. You and 45, 50,000 other fans. That'll be fun. Enrique, great job, man. Thanks for the call. Appreciate you. Look at Enrique. Goes wow. to a bookstore, picks up an 88 throwback jersey, his minor magic jersey. Those are nice, by the way. They are nice. They're, they're sweet. He's calling 4 0, which means they're going to be beating Arizona and Northwestern. It isn't a Jacksonville State. And if they're 4 0 and they come home for that UNLV game, I'm telling you right now. Uh, that will be a sellout. If they are 4-0 playing UNLV at the Sun Bowl, they've already sold 28000 for that game anyway. Uh, they will easily take care of the additional 20000 and make sure that that thing is sold out. That would be insane if that were to happen because two things pop out in my mind right away. Uh, number one, you do, you'd be coming off two wins against Power 5 schools, right? You're, going, you're talking about Arizona Northwestern, but not only that – if they if they're four and zero by the time the uh, the nine one five heroes night game comes around against UNLV, that would be three wins on the road. People know UTEP hasn't been the greatest road team throughout their tenure. They haven't been one of the greatest teams in general. But when you talk about on the road wins, mm-hmm. that shows a different side to your team when you can do it on the road. And if they can get that win, you know, to go five and zero, that would be the biggest buzz that UTEP would have had since. Uh, who knows how long right. Mike Price, right? You're right. Uh, check in Twitter uh, uh, or or X. I apologize. Uh, Twitter or X, whatever you call it. <laughs> By the way, real quick, do yeah. you still have it as Twitter on your phone or did you update it to X? Um, So it's – I have automatic updates. Mm, okay. So I have no choice. It's now X. But it's funny because – um, you know, I have those Chrome bookmarks, yeah. and it still says Twitter, and there's an X <laughs> next to it. It's hilarious. Nice, nice. So, Headbanger Pete uh, messages us and says, this will be the year, 10-2, and two, winning CUSA. Hashtag Minor Magic. Jonathan Byers doesn't agree. UTEP isn't <laughs> competitive, he says. They only beat bad opponents, and again, this year, they have one of the weakest schedules in all of college football. Listen, Jonathan. To me, competitive doesn't necessarily mean wins. It means that they don't get blown out like they used to all the time. Yeah. That, that's that. When you're not competitive is when you're losing sixty-five to three, and they, that's those days are, are pretty much over. Like they might have their occasional clunker where they get blown out, but they are competitive. They they play with all their opponents, but they don't win. That's the yeah. thing. They're you know they're winning you know, seven games two years ago, five last year. Now they got to turn the corner and they have to win. That's to me. That's the next step because competing, you know, playing a team competitive and losing is a loss. 
Yeah. And you have to find a way now to 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 progress to you know being right there and winning go, those games. Yeah, and and if we could be honest too, when we look at the five and seventeen, the seven and five team, the difference between those two seasons really, and I'm not just trying to be simple or sarcastic, but it's just a couple of wins. Yep. But if you take wins or losses away, you still get the same kind of feel from those teams. And he's right. They do have one of the weakest schedules in yes. college football. All the more reason why they should win eight or nine games this year. Yeah, especially with all the experience that they have. We're talking about guys from back during the COVID year that are still on this team who have a ton of experience and have consistently shown improvement since that season. So on paper, should be a pretty good season. 100%. 100%. Final countdown here on Sports Talk. Checking out X right now. Minor Joe. Okay, here I am predicting a minor championship. Too much depth and talent. No way this team is not a championship team. Look at that. From, there it uh, is. From Minor Joe. Hey, props to FC Juarez beating Pumas yesterday 4-1. to one. How about that? They're undefeated after week five in second place right now in the standings. That's big time. Nice. Good soccer, especially in this area. We've seen it in El Paso. FC Watt is doing it, too, so nice. And also, I didn't even realize this, but, um, you know, at, at when, I have, um, when I have social media open on the 600 ESPN El Paso, it always tells me who to follow. I didn't even realize that we were not following. So many people were not following on the 600 ESPN, including, yeah. you know, this is crazy, Joe Chacon. We, oh, I, I followed him. And by the way, we're not following El Paso Visuals Deportivos. Now we are. We weren't following <laughs> Rip City Trades. Now we now are. we are. We weren't following Connor Bellgard. Now we are. So my apologies oh, to Joe. The man yeah. yeah. All these great people. I didn't realize we're not following them. Because you see, I used to have twi- TweetDeck. And on TweetDeck, I had 600 and uh, my personal one. And, yeah. and I never could tell what the difference was in terms of who I was following and who I wasn't. But now that I'm only on 600 ES Piano Paso during the show because I refuse to pay for the blue check mark, yes. I see all these people that I thought were following that were not following. I thought we had Joe Checo. No, we didn't. Too? I, I don't know if this is exactly it, but there have been reports of um, – Twitter accounts with multiple followers uh, reporting that they've lost followers mm. the last couple of uh, months um, with no reason to it. They didn't unfollow them purposefully, so it could have just been the system. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is. It could be, but um, I'm, I will. I will continue as I find others that we have not followed. I will continue to add them to our list. Our family. I know we follow this guy, Tim Haggerty. He's the voice of the El Paso Chihuahuas. He joins us here during our final countdown. How are you, Hags? Good. How are you, Steve? Doing well, thank you. <laughs> and there it is, everybody. There's the show. We finished. And we're done. We're out of time. That's all we needed. A little quick small talk. How are you, Tim? Great. How are you, Steve? Fine. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you again tomorrow at, at um, 4 o'clock. No, Hags, uh, it is great to have you back. How is the field after what I considered the best day of the summer? Cloudy, overcast, rain, I bet you that field at Southwest University Park is better than it's ever been. Yes, uh, the weather felt a lot different here downtown. I uh, even uh, threw on a little pullover jacket here. Mm. And uh, it did get some rain this morning. The tarp was covering the field this morning. But luckily, in the afternoon, players were practicing on the field. There really was no precipitation downtown in the afternoon. And uh, 
I, I say knock on wood at the beginning of this, so don't blame me, but there's uh, something interesting going on. I think we talked about this last week. Uh, today was maybe one of the closer calls, but tonight's game 122. The Chihuahuas have not had a rain out, home or road. So, uh, you know, assuming it stays like this, the streak will stay alive. We keep jinxing it. We keep trying to see if we can uh, throw the old whammy on that one. But, Hags, what's interesting to me is is that the weather forecast in El Paso the rest of the week looks terrific. And then after that, we're really um, all we're dealing with is Reno, Salt Lake, and then, you know, Albuquerque as far as road games. So, you know, I haven't looked at the long-term forecast for, uh, for Reno, but uh, I'm sorry, I said Salt Lake. It's, it's actually Reno um, and Sugarland. And Sugarland, yeah. I mean, you know, it's possible we, we, we make history this year. Yes, Sugarland's the one big hurdle. Uh, that's right outside Houston, where I've learned in the past couple of years just how much it rains in Houston traveling there. Uh, that's the big one. So it's almost like the Super Bowl of this thing, where you have to finish against the toughest opponent at Sugarland come uh, late summer. So, yep. um, yeah, I kind of felt when it comes to the topic of jinxing, the first half of the season, I did not mention it on the air or off, but at a certain point, much like when a pitcher has a no hitter in the seventh or the eighth inning, you have to address it. Uh, I know that's a baseball tradition that the announcers don't talk about it, but the truth is nobody follows that tradition anymore. National announcers, team announcers, everyone talks about it. Uh, it's one thing if you're in a dugout, then you don't want to jinx it. But as far as in the booth, I feel like you have to mention it. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we're at a point in the season where this is a storyline, that the Chihuahuas and the great weather, home and road. So I do mention it now. Well, don't worry about it because as long as you don't work for the Orioles, you don't have to risk losing your job for saying something like that. So you're okay there. You'll be fine. Um, meanwhile, uh, Daniel Johnson had quite the night yesterday. He did. Uh, the former NMSU Aggie showed up first Chihuahuas game, had three hits, including a home run in the ninth inning. Uh, very nice person who actually told me today that not only did he play at Southwest University Park while at NMSU in a game against the University of New Mexico Lobos, but he and friends while in Las Cruces would actually occasionally come to games in the stands. Really? So a uh, great story. A guy who was a college baseball player that came to games as a fan is now on the field as a Chihuahua. I had no idea that was the story. But then again, he, you know, we are talking about the last 10 years. That's a long time, especially when, you know, think about that. What, six, seven, eight years ago, he was probably at New Mexico State. Exactly. He was drafted in 2016. Uh, so he was a little bit ahead of this current wave of Aggies players that have made it to the majors, like Kyle Bradish, Nick Gonzalez, uh, among others. And um, as you know, quite a program they've built over there, and the alumni are sprouting through. Johnson was in the majors previously with Cleveland, uh, so he was in the majors uh, as far back as 2020. Yeah, I want to see him get back. Uh, that really would be terrific, um, you know, if we can have him, uh, you know, get himself back up soon enough. Um, Meanwhile, uh, who will we have on the bump tonight uh, for the Chihuahuas? Yeah, tonight Jay Groom is getting the start, uh, looking to rebound after a tough start at Albuquerque. But in recent starts, has had a few very strong ones. So uh, his statistics, the ERA is above eight, but it's been more inconsistent than bad all the way around. He has had some good starts. And on the other side, Mason Black, who is making his eighth AAA appearance here tonight. He was at AA Richmond for a lot of this season. All right. Should be a good one. So we'll have that uh, coming up here at the bottom of the hour. First pitch less than 10 minutes from now. Tim, always great catching up with you. Thanks for the time. We'll do it again tomorrow. Okay. Thanks, Steve. 
Meanwhile, Sal, you have, in fact, done it again. You've sat in for about the last 45 minutes of the show. Always enjoy the time we get to spend together. And can't believe that football season is right around the corner. And you and Adrian and Zay are going to be delivering minor talk for us here just uh, three nights from now. It's it's always a blast, Steve. Uh, you know, same towards you. Thank you so much. And uh, with, with Zay and Adrian, we're super excited. Uh, Zay's really coming along well. Adrian is the best out there, so I'm um, just happy to be working with them. Big Game Boomer gave him the best follow for UTEP this, uh, this season. Zay, how they, about that? They know what's going on. Zay's the truth, man. I love him. They do. So for Sal Montez, Adrian brought us. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Joao's Baseball, bottom of the hour is next. 600 ESPN El Paso.